Welcome. So it was interesting for me when I observed that I have brushes in my hand, not sticks. It kind of usually means I'm kind of really back into playing. I love just sitting with this bass drum pad, this practice pad, and um, just spending ages kind of just picking a tempo. just kind of improvising, just making observations about um, where, my, where my hands are, you know, looking at the left hand, the traditional grip kind of position, the left hand, and uh, I'm just going to move this microphone a little bit closer, that might make a bit of a, bit of a noise actually, that's better, you can probably hear this creaking creaking still, very noisy, it's a bit of a nightmare, in fact I should oil that stool because this is the one I use when I'm recording here, um, but yeah it's, um, I always, with the traditional grip, not to go on a brush, or go off on a brush tangent because it's this episode is not about that at all, but I have many, many conversations with students that are studying um, the drums and, and specifically kind of jazz drums where they play, um, a lot of them play match grip. But when they play brushes, they play traditional grip. And if you go back to my early episodes in the these podcast series back in 2019, maybe 2020 as well, there's a couple about brushes. And um, I have absolutely no recollection of what I talked about in those um, podcasts, as I have no recollection of what I talk about most of the time, really, in the podcasts. Um, and I often think, I'm just repeating myself, I'm just on this kind of loop, you know, this monthly loop of just talking the same nonsense every month. It's like a regurgitation of, um, of um, nonsense. But anyway... Um, I the, the observation I've made is many, many, many of those match grip drummers, they play traditional grip brushes, mainly because they're right-handed and they, they want to have that the circular motion in the left hand. They want it to be kind of easily accessible and they want it to be kind of out of the way of the right hand. That's kind of my theory. And also the pivot, just the pivot point, the shoulder. You look at physics and you look at the two pivot points. You've got the little fulcrum between the thumb and forefinger, the little that part of the hand the evolutionary vibe and um, and then you've got the shoulder and the elbow pivots obviously swings off the uh, the shoulder joint and um, and then the brush sits in that little that little that little uh, thing between the thumb and the forefinger and there you go if you do that and you move your elbow um, you have a swishing sound generically and then if you introduce the wrist 
because it's so important, people. I say it all the time. Brushes requires an unlocked wrist. I mean, controversially, for me, all drumming requires an unlocked wrist, but I see many drummers uh, play with a locked wrist because they're playing all forearm and maybe using some fingers, and, and they sound great. Um, but when they play swing and stars like that, I hear a stiffness. Sorry, it's very controversial, but I hear it everywhere. And there's not a single drummer I've heard yet that has a locked wrist that doesn't sound stiff when they play swing rhythms. Um, I'm still, you know, I'm open to being wrong, as always, as I'm reminded every day of my life by various people. We won't go there. But, um, yeah, I've never heard a drummer that played swing, that was swinging, that had a locked wrist. Sorry, but anyway, let's move on from this controversy. I don't want to get into controversy. I've always been already been in the controversy box a couple of months ago. Stay away from that. But yeah, it's quite nice. I've got a nice gig tomorrow. I'm looking forward to this gig down in London at Troubadour. Sebastian de Crom, who also I interviewed on this podcast, go back again a couple of years. You'll find a very fantastic conversation we had. Super, super great guy, great friend of mine and a fantastic drummer and such a great mind of jazz, a great history of jazz person, a person that knows a lot about players and he's so into the jazz thing. Um, I'm kind of in awe of his jazzness. And um, anyway, he has a gig at the Troubadour in London and I am lucky enough to be doing that gig tomorrow. He'll be there. I'm going to go and stay with him tomorrow. But he's not playing. He offered me a couple of gigs there. One of them got cancelled, sadly. But I'm there with Alex Clark, fantastic sax player. Um, she was in the Young Musician thing, 2018 jazz musician thing, I think. That was when it was. Anyway, yeah, she's brilliant. Really great, really great player. Playing mostly tenor and some alto tomorrow. And uh, Andy Kleinder, fantastic double bass player. Um, lives down lives down in London and he's been around for a long time played with Andy before well played with them both before but um, so really, yeah really looking forward to that and Andy's how he's going to record the gig and stuff because he records does a lot of recording Andy's kind of his I think it's his kind of second passion to the bass you know he's uh, got his little record label and he records a lot of stuff so we're going to record the gig which, uh, which I'm really looking forward to just really looking forward to the gig and obviously you know, the thing about cordless trios for drums is it's a great opportunity to um, to, um, to to take advantage of the mid-range, as in the space in the mid-range, to either occupy it or not occupy it. But it's you know there's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of possibility with uh, with the drums in in that setting you know and i'm um I, i've long been a kind of fan of um of the sunny rollins there's lots of sunny rollins stuff on youtube with the trios um there's bass and drums and him and the tenor sax there's something about kind of tenor and drums and then you just put the double bass into that which operates you know, over quite a wide frequency range, but you know, it really operates in that in that bottom end area of the time and the and and is outlining 
you know, outlining the changes in a more sparse way, obviously, because you know, chord instrument, and um, and just for drums, you know, I've I've had a couple of gigs in the past where I played with chordless groups. I used to play in a fantastic chordless, couple of fantastic chordless quartets actually, one of which I was hoping was going to be revived recently, but doesn't seem to be um, doesn't seem to be happening, which is a bit of a shame. But they were two front line, um, mostly trumpet and tenor, occasionally two tenors and occasionally trombone and tenor, but um, mainly like configuration and then acoustic double bass and drums, and um, and that was always a fantastic uh, space for me to play in, you know, because. Um, Essentially, I mean, if you're playing with two tenors at the front, you're just playing with two tenor trios, aren't you? You know, because when they're improvising, that's what you're playing with. You've got tenor sax, you've got bass and drums. And I always loved that thing. <clears throat> and I forgot that, um, that obviously, the, you know, the tenor, the trio with a tenor, or even with alto, is the same vibe, you know. Um, so, got, yeah, got some nice tunes we're going to play tomorrow and driving down to London, which would be nice. Not been to London for a while. Um, looking forward to that gig and um, yeah, I mean it's uh, it's funny times at the moment for me. So can't share too much, but um, it's um, there's some in not so great things going on and um, sort of slightly insecure times um, around my kind of working life, um, which is not great. And um, and also in my uh, my personal life, my home life, um, like I mentioned this before, my my girlfriend, my partner is moving to um, to Kuwait uh, in September. Well, in August actually, for a job, which has been which has been on the cards for you know for months and months, and it's something we you know we've discussed, and you know it's not that's not a shock, but. I was always going to do more playing this year. The whole idea, that if you look, listen to my episode a couple couple of months ago about the trio, my new trio, um, that with that's an organ trio, which is recording uh, beginning of August, so that's get, that's coming up soon, which I'm really excited about. And there's a little tour in November, December, and then some more dates are sort of appearing at the end of February as well. Hoping to get a few more gigs. The the, the general vibe of um, of my partner being away was to gig more um but that might be the case anyway i'll say no more than that um but it has you know it's it's reminded me of um of just kind of how distant in a way from being really on it with the drums i, I have been for quite a while and and i'm kind of feeling kind of closer to being a bit more on it with the drums and also as I'm getting older and older and older, um, getting more clarity about the, what the drums are and the role of the drums and about kind of a, a slight change of, just a change of sort of uh, philosophy really, I think with the drums and, you know, and, and also something sort of getting a little bit more um, sort of confident with, you know, so, just this thing I've been talking about for a while, and I, and I remind uh, myself more than anything, and, and and have archived it here. And if it if it anybody's listening, if it helps you, 
just that thing of remembering that practicing works, you know, practicing the instrument and and really having setting out small goals for yourself of things that you that you cannot play you know whenever i whenever i say that sentence i remember um uh this thing that my my old friend Stuart McCallum said to me years ago when he said i don't i don't practice things i can already play and that sounds so obvious you know but how many people, when they really get in the practice room, have that clear attitude, you know? Because I come up against it a lot when I'm teaching. I, I notice that students um, struggle with that element because, you know, it's um, it's it's got there's lots of things attached to that which are, you know, which which they're not as rewarding as playing if you, you know all the people that i teach are good at the drums it's fundamentally like you know they're all good drummers i'm very lucky um, because of where i teach and and the people i get to teach and so you know in that when when we play can i include myself in that we're all in the same family here when, when we play the we we you know we sound good, so we enjoy the sound of us sounding good. And um, when you're practicing, I sound shit. Pardon in my uh, English and um, you know, putting a parental advisory thing on this, but you know, it's not a terrible word, is it? I sound poo. There you go. I sound pants. I sound um, rank. I sound rubbish. Sound like a beginner, which is my that's my favorite phrase. I say to students, I remind them all the time when I'm learning something new, and this is and the, that, that word learning as well that's another key part of this. When I, you know, when I'm when, when I'm gonna open a book and I'm gonna go, right, I'm gonna play this thing, I'm gonna do this thing. I'm literally a beginner to that thing because it's something I cannot do, I cannot play it, you know. So I'm humble to the thing of always being a learner, always being a beginner. And always trying very hard to um, to focus on the worth and the um, the value of, of spending that amount of time at the instrument or at the pad or whatever you know. I'm very lucky here in the drum shed. I've got sort of two. I've got my drums next door, which haven't been set up for a while because I've been I've been recording and I've been away and things going on and a few gigs and just have a time to reset the drums up but i've been sort of staying away a little bit from that here because i've been gigging a bit and um and just been using and in here i've got my pad my bass drum pad and over there's my hi-hats my practice hi-hat stand which is just a hi-hat stand with a clutch on which just hits the plastic cup which i just you know, i just that's the hi-hat i don't need an actual pair of hi-hats because um, I'm mainly practicing coordinational things between the left foot and the right foot and the hands, you know. So I'll use a pad or use this pad. I'll have another pad set up and I've got four things and that's it. If I'm playing brushes, then I just need the two feet and the brushes. So, you know. But um, I've really noticed that, uh, you know, having got a lot better in the last, I'd say, 10 years um, at... Coming to um, coming to the instrument with a practice mind, 
because I've got a lot better at that, I'm really starting to feel the benefits of that now. And my sort of confidence has grown a little bit more just, you know, in, in areas where in the moment I would choose to uh, to actually go for something, you know, in a way where... So it's a conscious competence thing. Because you want the unconscious competence thing, which I'm... Um, which feels like it's getting very close to now with certain things. But the thing that I'm sort of enjoying, um, even though it's not the end of the process, but it's a, you know, you go from the sort of the conscious incompetence thing where you're like, oh, I can't play in the moment. And you're like, oh, ah, that was, ah, I couldn't play that thing, you know, but I, I'm going to, I'm, I know that I'm practicing it, but it's still not there. And then at the moment, I'm having a lot of conscious competent moments where I'm sort of playing and then I'll, just, you know, be playing something and then be able to sort of go, well, I can do that in the bass drum now. I can I can echo phrase in the bass drum or something and making a conscious thing to do that. And um, and I'm kind of enjoying that. I, I think it's always, you know, the most musical thing, but you, chose, you can choose your moments well, you know, if you're respectful. Um, in soloing, it's, it's okay in soloing, but when I'm comping, I'm always very careful about, about that term. About doing too much of that, but um, but some things I, I've noticed are happening um, unconsciously, you know. So um, always re remember that process. The you know the um, the conscious uh, the unconscious incompetence. Apologies, that's the that's the beginning where you're, you're oblivious and unable and then you become aware so you get a conscious to the incompetence and then you practice and you get this well you learn then you practice and you get this uh, conscious competence so you you can be i spend a lot of my time practicing in the conscious competence stage actually and some of that does transfer to playing and then there's um the wonderful the wonderful world which um where we live in when we play when we play what we can play, which is the uh, the unconscious competence thing, just being basically, you know, it's just happening. Like me talking now, you know, breathing or whatever, or walking down the street. You know, all those things we do that are just, they're just automatic. They're, 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 they're nurtured and nature, but mainly nurtured. So, but the understanding this thing i've talked about a few months ago learning and then practicing just understanding what those two things are you know having that awareness of of um of allowing yourself time to learn allow that time don't blur it into oh i'm practicing and it's not happening and oh, i can't do it oh, i give up i can't be asked for this it's just too painful and it sounds terrible and Oh, I'm just going to play and make myself feel better. And that's a kind of common, you know, if you can relate to that, uh, you're, you know, you're in the majority, <laughs> I think. Um, you know, but make sure that you give yourself time to learn and understand that you're learning and it's just a learning thing, you know. Leave the ego at the door, as they say. Easier said than done, but um, I was thinking today about I did this drum masterclass quite a long time ago for um, for somebody who uh, organises kind of percussion drum percussion day, and, and I would the masterclass I did, which 
It's something I, I may revive, actually, and maybe I might refine, and it might be something I might might try and do because it's something I'm, in a teaching sense, probably the most passionate about in a way, is is helping. Uh, the, the math class was about talking about the transition from being an ex drummer to being a jazz drummer. So coming from any style of music into the jazz sound world on the drums, which is, the, I mean, the jazz sound world is vast and wide, but there's a kind of fundamental thing that one can get together um, that can really help understand the physicality and the mental um the mental place and space you need to be in at the instrument in order to play with that in that sound world and make that kind of sound on the instrument and um and then in and then within that there's a huge huge variety of of of, of things to be <laughs> you know uh, as there is in all styles of music, of course, you know, um, you know, funk and rock and Latin and reggae and hip hop and you know, drum and bass, electronic, or all those kind of different styles of music. For drums, that have their own unique sound worlds as well. You know, um, it's interesting that a lot of the players that are very flexible within those uh, other styles have a bass in some form of jazz study on the drums, which was kind of what this episode was about. I, was, I had this kind of a moment this week where I was, uh, I was at the allotment, actually, and I was... Um, the allotment's... It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place to think, you know, because you're sort of... Um, you know, you go to the allotment and there's things to do and they're the practical things to do. And they're sort of boring in a way, but they're sort of great as well. Um, I mean, I don't like digging. Digging is, I'm tall and uh, spades are not very long. I always find digging kind of backbreaking, you know. Um, I mean, because it is anyway. Um, but I, I just feel like I have a long way to go down. And we, we've got a very long arm shovel, which is what I always choose. It's not the best digging thing, but it's much easier for my back and my legs because I, I don't have to lean down as much. As, but, well, you know, if I'm not digging, a lot of the other things I do there are, um, I mean, like weeding, God, you know. But weeding is a time to think. And these things always come to me. Um lots of thoughts about um, things always lead back to lead back to drums or music or things to do with drums in music or things I want to do within the drums or I want to get back into this or I want to get back into that you know and blah 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 and I never quite get as into things as I really want to and I always give myself a hard time about that but the thing that I always have to try and remind myself is that I'm actually into them at all and not not into them at all, if that makes any sense. But um, you know, it's very easy to to say, you know, like I wanted to get back into snare drum playing, which I spent quite a lot of time doing this year and, and the end of last year. Not so much now. Um, really feeling the benefits of that now as well, by the way. But um, you know, I was always like, oh, I wish I was getting more into snare drum. You know, <laughs> it's just like 
give yourself a break, you know. I was spending lots of time playing the snare drum, which is, I believe, is a very, very important part of being a drummer, a drum kit player, I think, especially a jazz kit player, you know, but, but also for other styles. But that's just my personal um, my belief and my kind of observation of how other drummers that I... Um, have watched develop who are very talented and, and also have become very good how i've watched their development i've seen that um, you know in comparison to my own development there seems to be a a um, a consistency there you know and, and talking to great drummers like martin france and and uh, also that ed sof talks about it you know just um I mean, Martin's you know, a fantastic snare drum player and it's a real thing of Martin's, you know, and talking to him about that is always, always kind of life-affirming, really, for me in, in relation to where my kind of head is in, you know, and how I want to be into the drums. So I, I often, like, oh, get into these things and I'm, you know, when I'm, I mean, when, like at the allotment or whatever I'm doing and I've got some time to think, I'm like, oh, I wish I was more into this or more into that, but I generally remind myself that I am actually into it. And, and the thing I had this week was about it was just this idea about um, what the study of styles, what the study of styles does for our playing in relation to a, a, a wider understanding of how, of how to be in music. And uh, the deeper you get into styles, the, the more you kind of get into the history of uh, of music, the history of um, not necessarily the drums, but just the history of rhythm. You know, um, I think you know. There's there's almost more to say that drummers should spend more time studying the history of rhythm, and um, and. And, and folkloric music, you know, folk or folk music, whichever you want, whatever word you want to use, but um, understanding, you know, where odd type signatures come from, you know, and the fact that they've been around a long time, and, and also like news to me that you know even within um, like pagan English uh, English folk music from a long, long time ago, there was a lot of stuff that was in 11 and, and odd time signatures because of the dancing, you know, and because of, because that was where the, the music was a community thing. It was part of a communal thing. And, and also just, you know, the, if you're studying swing, um, just to say that to really not check out West African rhythms and North African rhythms, um, but just just a fundamental understanding of of the triplet, just really thinking about rhythms in six eight or twelve eight, which is normally a little bit easier to connect to the music that we play because twelve eight kind of feels closer to four four in some ways. But you know six eight does as well, and and so there's all this. You know, the thing that, like, the Brazilians write everything in 2-4 with semi-quavers, and, of course, that's, like, you know, the thing above six quavers, and the 6-8 thing, the dotted thing, the metric thing above that is 2-4, and, <clears throat> and that, I, you know, I get that. But as a jazz musician, fundamentally, I mean, I, I'm, a, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an English person, 
and I studied classical harmony and I learned to read music from a classical, European classical tradition. Um, so um, that was very influential on my understanding of, uh, of time signatures and rhythm and stuff. Um, so, you know, when I got into jazz and started reading, like, lead sheets and, and saw, you know, the straight quaver was... Um, everything was written in a straight quaver but was, was, was taken for granted to be swung if it was a swing thing. You know, they didn't write literally every quaver rest and, and, the, and the grouping of three. That was just a horror show, you know. Um, they'd, they'd have had to have paid the copyists, uh, you know, a third more than they would have had to because I think it's for every... I think every line or stem they got paid for and every rest. This was the John Riley story. Um, one of the reasons why Ted Reed's written the way it is, because um, it was cheaper for copy for the cop to pay the copyists, and so everything was kind of. You, you have this filter thing going, aren't you? Which is great for reading. You know, you look at you look at da da di do da, and you see ba ba di bo da. You know, four quavers. That is is actually more more complex than that in the interpretation. And that cognitive process from what you see to what you interpret to what you play is a, is a beautiful, I think that's a beautiful thing. And it is a, it's part of what makes us humans um, having that. And, and, you know, what is that swing? Everybody has a different space with that swing because it's kind of interpreted, isn't it? You go, ba-ba-dee-ba-da, 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 ba-de-dee-do-da. You know, which one of those is right? Well, they're all right, depending on the situation and, and the vibe that you're trying to communicate. But the complicated thing a lot of the time um, is that, why well, you know, Central American music like salsa, when you're reading Cascada Clave Tumbao, is I I write that out in 4-4 uh, in, in four, four with quavers and crotches. Um but then if you play a Brazilian rhythm, which is not, not necessarily directly connected, but just a Brazilian rhythm which has the same um, pulse, it would be written as semi-quavers and quavers. So it's just having that kind of thing, you know, which I know why a lot of the time the 6-8 thing tends to connect. But um, I, I, I always tend to think in 12-8, just, just to say, you know, I think in 4-4 and I think in 12-8. Um, and uh, that tends to kind of help me connect more with the way I phrase when I play swing drums. You know, I've spent a lot of time doing the studying the, the grouping of five. First triplet, the last um, on beat two, and then the middle triplet quaver of um, of beat four, you know. So, and then you land on beat two next in the next bar because it's you know fifteen quavers, isn't it? Group three, five to fifteen, and uh, twelve eight is four, four threes to twelve. You you get those, you understand those basic maths anyway. That's, this is why I think in 12-8, because I'm thinking about those sort of phrases, but I'm thinking mathematically about them, you know. Then um, 
if I want to land on beat one, then I'll I'll start on beat four of of the preceding bar. So one, two, three. You know, that's just. I know that I'm going to land on the beat. If I start on the push beat of three, I'm going to land on the push beat of four, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just you know, kind of basic things within understanding the sort of the simplicity, rhythmic structures, and the, the simplicity of where groupings land. You know. And um, there's nothing complicated in that. But that's why I think about 12 8. It's just a short explanation there. But I know a lot of people listening or whatever will have this opinion about the 6 8 thing. And I totally, I totally get that. And, you know, a lot of that. And, and a lot of the African, West African rhythms are written out in 6 8, you know. So you just, just doubling the length of whatever those phrase lengths are. Uh, but, the, you know, that, that West African music and, and jazz, you know. They're different music, so let's separate the two things out here. You know, um, Art Blakey said in Arthur Taylor's Notes and Tones, you know, he says, um, jazz is not African music, it's, it's African-American music, you know. And uh, it's certainly connected to, to West African, African rhythms, of course it is. And, and also it is in relation to, um, the, you know, the people and, and the cultures, etc., but it was developed, you know, a different part of the world. It, 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 and, um, and so my, the beginnings of my connections to, to jazz and those, and, and those rhythms was through jazz, you know, was through listening to, uh, well, big band music and fusion and then, and then small group jazz and swing, you know, and, and going backwards. I was, a, I was a, you know, I was a kind of, in, in the world of jazz, most most um, most people I teach, they they start off at a lot of them start off at Snarky Puppy, and then they go back to Louis Armstrong, you know, or they start at some sort of prog rock and go back to Louis Armstrong, or they start at they start at um, funk and they go back to Charlie Parker or, or Max Roach with Charlie Parker, you know, whatever, but. I I never did that. I I I got into the music from from big band and then into and then into kind of small group, you know, modern and very open modern jazz um, standard standard repertoire, but played in a very open way and never really had a, a proper foundation or fundamental understanding of the rhythmic structures of the music until I was much older, you know. Uh, never really studied it properly. Never really respected its roots properly. Really, I mean, I don't, you know, I feel like that's what the the awakening for me about that is is really starting to happen now. You know, this point in my life, it feels like um, just got more of a kind of understanding of um, of the, the the very beginnings and basics of of that. You know, and and also the way the way in which the 12 8 rhythms and the layers the things that you can use within that 6 8 that 12 8 thing you know the other reason why why I like to think about 12 8 is because it's there's three fours and as well as being as well as there's four threes in 12 you know and uh, you listen to Ben Riley with Monk he's playing lots of lots of um, groupings of four Philly Joe Jones did as well lots of groupings of four triplet quavers so having that thing of not the five thing, but the but the the get 
Having that kind of phrasing, Philly Joe played them as paradiddles, paradiddle, 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 ding, 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 paradiddle, paradiddle. Ben Riley played them. He did different things, but more hand to hand and different orchestrations. It's a very nice thing that Ben Riley always did is he played to the ride, to the to the rack tom, to the ride, to the floor tomming in groups of four, and he'd always hit the bass drum with the cymbal. Ding, dong, ding, dong, ding, dong, ding, 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 ding. So nice long phrases. Really, they're really good exercises to practice as well. And then there's all the polyrhythmic stuff with the bass drum. I, I I spend a lot of time now practicing those polyrhythmic things in the bass drum, which I, I don't want to get into now. But it's um, but that the bass drum ostinato in groups of um, playing like three groups of four in the bar of twelve, not four groups of three. But the right hand's playing swing time or or or, or not more sort of sort of more North African kind of rhythm. Can to can, or oh, it's West African as well, called Sar. With um, you play the first and second triplet, to can to can to can to can. So it, it sounds, it starts to sound like the accented note. The second triplet is the downbeat, and it's not; it's the second triplet. Um, and there's so many wonderful, simple, wonderful rhythms you can create by playing a dotted thing in the bass drum higher on two and four, or possibly a bembe thing. And then the hands playing sar, like the sar rhythm, which I think he's played on one of the djembe's, I think. Um, that's played in the right hand. And then the left hand, you can play on beat or off beat crotchet triplets with a cross stick, you know. Uh, that's just like practice that exercise. Try and work out from what I've just said then, you know. It's an oral tradition. You don't even have to, you have to, even have to play it. You can work that out yourself. Dotted feet in the feet. The high could just be on two and four, and then you get this off beats, you know. Just play those rhythms together, and, and it's like amazing. And we think, you know, we think we're so fancy pants in our world, you know. Clever, the clever Western world and everything. We're all so sophisticated, and it's also polyrhythmic and super complex, and you know, super intellectual. And wow, we've discovered the answer to it all. And then I go back to those rhythms all the time, and I just go, you know what? This is heavy shit, man. This is like heavy. This is so deep. It's so deep that. Um, Kind of makes everything else feel a little bit kind of um, not superficial, but it. I just think if I don't know if everybody had a real understanding and respect of those rhythms, I think that music, all music, would benefit from from having that. Um, you know, having that understandry, uh, the understanding of the history of human beings, because essentially, you know, you know. Um, all humans have evolved from from that area of the world, you know, going back, right, back, 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 back. I know it's a long, long time ago, and in, 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 in an evolutionary sense, it's a long time ago, but it's still... That DNA has got to be in us, you know. 
you know, even probably even the fish that we evolved from that crawled out of the oceans. Uh, don't know. Do we still still like fish? Not sure. I don't have any gills anyway, just ears. Anyway, not going off on too much of a surreal vibe. But yeah, the, so the styles thing, I think, is... Um, I think the styles thing is one of the most um, illuminating parts of studying jazz drums. This is kind of the point of what, I was, what this podcast was about. This is what I was thinking about while I was um, pulling weeds out of the ground and doing various other tasks. I just, um, it's why I'm kind of one of, uh, I'm an advocate of this way of studying the drums, you know. Um, I think it, it, it helps one understand, like I said, about this kind of, the, the sort of history of rhythm uh, and just having a deeper understanding of, of, of rhythm and also what that means in relation to time you know what that means in relation to meter as well as um sort of metronomic time um cuz all that's kind of fascinating as well as we as we become i mean there's no doubt in my mind because we have access now uh to apps and and YouTube and, and the internet and stuff. There's no doubt in my mind that young drummers will have better um, a better ability to play uh, to the grid in inverted commas than maybe maybe the drummers in the past. But there's a question, isn't there, here about what feels good and why things feel good. And it sort of feels like it's kind of connected a little bit to all this talk at the moment about kind of AI, you know. And um, and I don't mean AI on a kind of superficial level, in a database kind of level or, or sort of, you know, some sort of um, thing that's kind of been set up in that sort of, you know, trolls through trillions of pieces of information and, and sort of regurgitates them in a semi-human way. I'm talking about um, the side of AI where um, the, these people are developing software and, 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 and small programs that, that operate in a completely different way than anything we've seen before. And I, and it's not something that I even feel like I even remotely understand. But what what I what I what I think I do understand about it is it is it's not it's not this database based um thing. It's a different thing than that. Um and and this is where you get to um kind of thinking about the creative side of what we do is I think if you if you if you have a kind of wider stylistic understanding um, and that's a lifetime's work and it's a lifetime's work in any one style let's 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 be honest here you know you know I mean I, when I'm teaching I talk I have a very um, I have a very small 
simple book thing I work from, which I jokingly call the pamphlet, and those that know the joke behind that understand where that joke comes from. Um, Kirby Enthusiasm, if you know that show. So it's it's not a it's not a thick book. It's got it's got a small amount of stuff in it, all very tailored towards getting this sound world together. And then there's a small style section. And I always say to students, if you're really into this stuff, you'll you'll get into this stuff. You don't need me to get into, you know, if you if you're really into samba, Brazilian drumming, you'll you'll go down, you know, that rabbit hole on your own and uh, you'll find your own way with that, you know. Uh, you don't need me to give you 50-page dossier on samba drumming. Um, there's a couple of excellent books I can recommend, um, but um, but I'm not going to supply you with that because I'm not that kind of specialist and I'm, and I'm just trying to open doors and open your ears and open your eyes, open your heart to the... The, the the vibe of, of these grooves, you know. And I have a little thing in there, some little drum and bass, tiny little thing about drum and bass rhythms, you know, about uh, West Africa. It's a song, um, Afro-Cuban, um, Cuba, Cuban style, Songo, and uh, Cascada Clavitumbao. Um, a little bit about playing in three, jazz waltz different hi-hat patterns and ride cymbal patterns and emphasis of the ride cymbal and stuff. Oh, it's all kind of connected together. But but you can go down any of those avenues and spend a lifetime studying any of those things. So let's be under no illusions there about the job of work and what that is. But, but if you give each one of those styles, um, it's kind of... Um, the respect that it deserves and spend a, a bit of time researching some music and listening to some music and practicing those rhythms and and getting a real grasp on those rhythms, being able to play them in a real deep way, get them into the unconscious competence. Then I think that, you know, you, you've got a lot of options available to you and, and in, you know, in this kind of world, everyone's talking about AI and, you know, you know, and all this thing about you know AI is writing music now and all that stuff and it's like well it might be writing music now but who's going to want to watch who's going to want to watch some a computer performing music when they can watch a person it doesn't matter if it's as good I just think that people will always want to watch another person perform you know want to connect because you know. We don't connect to a computer, do we? We don't go, oh, well, my computer, I love you, or whatever, or some weird vibe, I don't know what I'm saying, but it's very strange. But, you know, it, it's, you don't have a, you'd have a friend that's a computer, you know, you, 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 the computer's a tool. You, you know, you have, you have people you communicate with through the computer, but you don't, you don't, you know, you don't love the computer. You don't have a vibe with the computer. You have a vibe with the, with the, whatever it is, it's at the other end of that messaging thing or email thing or communication thing or whatever. Or if you're writing music on a computer, then, you know, the idea is to take that music out into the world and play it to other people and share that music. And then, you know, that's a beautiful thing. And, and you get to the whole thing of why do people listen to music? Um, and, uh, you know, I always worry that people don't want to listen to music anymore. And I'm always like amazed at how into music people are all the time you know 
But we're always told, aren't we? It's it's a big thing, you know. Music's no one's into music, and you know, oh, there's no work in music, and I mean, politically in this country, not getting into political thing again, but in the in the UK, and it's maybe similar around the world, but it's just not valued in 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 the sense of um, government. You know, government don't see the value in it because it because of the because of the cachet. You know, they they don't feel like people that go through music education are going to be people that are going to contribute to paying taxes, you know, because that's the bottom line of it. You know, the government wants to create um, graduates that are going to be big taxpayers in order to make the country richer, you know, and attract more uh, investment and give the, the country, you know, more value. And, and, and that's not, you know, it's a very one-dimensional view. I know money rules the roost and all that stuff, but you know, people, you know, people, humans need more than that, you know. And that's why so I always think that AI thing is, you know, people are terrified of it because in certain respects uh, it could be very, very terrifying because we rely on so many systems now which are, are controlled by uh, microchips, essentially, in computers, you know. And if, um, and if those systems were to be um, taken over by... I mean, people talk about, you know, my, my late father used to talk about dictators and, you know, he used to say, well, it's all very well having all this technology and it's all great and everything, but when, you know, if something goes pear-shaped in the world and, and you suddenly the country you're living in is being run by some complete bellend who, um, you know, who just basically wants to control the population and um, we can have many conversations about where that's going on in the world at the moment but uh, we leave that for another time but then you end up with they have huge they have access to a huge system of of um of control you know but imagine if a computer a quantum computer or something suddenly has that and he's making very unhuman decisions just logical conclusive decisions about things based upon you know this different way that these programs may operate and um, not be working from a database but be working from a system of making decisions based upon this understanding of the world around it uh, and kind of deciphering um, the the values of different parts of nature and, and the kind of and how nature is constructed and and how you know how we how we fit into that. I mean, it's that famous thing, wasn't there about you know that they asked the AI computer how to end how to solve global warming and it said uh, eradicate the human race or or um, or or get rid of the human race. I think it maybe it might have said. It may be a thing where it that story has been slightly twisted. Where I think it's more about population growth. I think because you know it, what we we live in a world where in 1998 we was five billion people on this planet, and there's now a higher seven billion. It's 2023. I think about the history of humans and the timeline of that. We've gone from five to high seven billion in, you know, thirty years. That's pretty. Um, th- well, yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, just not even thirty years, is it? 
and the projection for the end of this millennium is is ten billion. Um, that's probably what it's making that conclusion on, and um, and when you take out um, humans and uh, doing the right thing and compassion and all that stuff, it's pretty heavy, pretty heavy vibe, you know. But back to music. Um, if you're thinking about being a, cr- a creative, the thing that's beautiful about creatives, and uh, what no one's talking about in this AI argument, which which annoys me, this is what this is the point. What I'm trying to say is that you know, anything, anything, or anybody that's creative is individual. We're all individuals anyway. But if you're a creative, then you're you're striving, aren't you, to to actually be actively involved in showing the individual. Because most people, they forget that they're an individual. Most people go about their lives and everybody just feels like they're whatever and they're not noticed and they're not special and all that kind of stuff and blah, blah, blah and whatever. And people forget that, the, that every individual is you know, special and, and has something individual to say. But then you get creatives, people that are creative in whatever way, software engineer or... You know, musician, an athlete, or whatever, and they make a conscious decision to to be standing out from the crowd, you know, or or, or putting their hand up, or you know, making an impact. And whether that's a computer or a human is kind of irrelevant, really, in my book. I just think that that the creatives will always have a place that other people will. Um, either be drawn to, enjoy, or you know, or just you know, the fruits of whatever that is, or be inspired by. You know, um, I always love listening to creatives and individuals, people that have got that thing, because it reminds me of something that um, I try and aspire to do all the time in in my playing. You know, like. Um, I say this all the time. I say this to, to all my students. I say it to, to the musician friend of mine. I always think everybody sounds great. And so, you know, when I hear people that sound, people sound good, I just think, oh, I wish I sounded good like that, you know, which is really stupid. But it's just the thing of, you know, if anything, if something sounds good, we're drawn to it, aren't we? And, and, and if you're creative and someone who's trying to be good at something, then there's a little bit of you that's like, oh, you know, I want to try, I want to take a piece of that. I want to understand something about that in order to 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 kind of have a piece of that for myself. You know, I, I'd be able to 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 practice something and learn something or practice something and and then have that within my own, you know, playing. And in that, you forget. And I regularly forget, yeah, what about you? What about yourself? You know, you don't need, just just be yourself, you know. And um, and the thing that always happens for me, which is a great relief in this whole psychosomatic horror show and mental illness, is that, you know, when I'm um, playing, it all defaults to me, which is, so it's all fine, you know. Uh, unless I unless I'm asked to play differently, which you know, which which happens, and that's fine, and that's normally in a studio situation or something, and I'm pretty flexible in that situation, and that's kind of easier in a way because you're being asked by someone to do something different, to play in a certain way, or you know, 
operate at the instrument in a way which is not outside your comfort zone, but is not outside what you would normally default to, you know. So, but um, yeah, so it's kind of always nice to play because this is like the biggest thing I was sort of saying at the beginning of this was just that of um, remembering that and kind of getting really back into playing properly now and just starting to feel like I really am. And part of that feeling of that is the confidence of of just remembering to be yourself. And, um, you know, because in the last few years, because there's been a lot of time to sort of, you know, not playing and spending time, you know, learning and practicing and a lot of listening, you know, I've heard more music and other people and amazing people in the last three or four years and I've probably heard in the whole of my life. And, and that is in one respect is amazing, but in another respect is quite depressing because you're like, oh my God, you know, there's so much amazing stuff out there. And the internet has changed that forever for people of my generation. And and, and it comes to the generation of anybody that's, I'd even say people that are maybe seven or eight years younger than me, uh, maybe 10 years younger than me, actually. But, you know, for, for us, for you youngsters out there who are used to this world of of YouTube and, and Instagram and, and this and this huge amount of information which is at your fingertips within a single Google search. Um, adjusting to that world for, I can only speak for myself, but it's been, it's been very hard, you know, because, um, because you forget in the middle of all that stuff, all that, information all those people you'd never have heard in your entire life in the old world because we can't travel all over the world and hear everybody but um just that thing of remembering like more than ever now more than ever now it's time to be yourself you know time to be yourself but in that i just i think that studying and having a wide kind of stylistic understanding even even in even getting quite a sort of you know not superficial but in a, in a in a simple way but just having a little is is a good thing i think you know because it um it adds it adds color and it adds uh, depth to you know to one's already uh, well woven kind of tapestry of what we do you know um but yeah remembering to be ourselves and to just and to to celebrate ourselves, you know, um, and trusting that that's enough, you know, because that was the that was the thought that that was the thing that came to me while I was thinking of the allotment. I just had this feeling of sort of like, you know, it's it's often enough to just be in the situation that you've been called to be in, that somebody wants you to be in and to be playing that music and just to be in that music and just be like, yeah, this is it. This is great. This has got a, this has got a groove. It's got a vibe. People are smiling. People are enjoying the vibe. This is great. We're a shared moment, you know, and to celebrate that and also just and to remember to be yourself in that. And, and and being yourself in that is also a celebration of that, isn't it? You know, celebrating your yourself and celebrating um, where the self is being in that in that community situation, in the situation of being around other people, you know. And um, yeah, I don't know whether that just feeling in that headspace is why 
why I have brushes in my hands, you know. Don't know. Because the, the ironic thing about brushes, if you talk to a hundred drummers, how many of them will say they can play the brushes? What do you reckon that figure is? Obviously, you can't answer me because you're listening to this on a whatever. But um, my experience at 52 years of age so far in conversations with drummers that I meet all over the place that come up and say hello and have a chat, because I play the brushes a lot when I'm gigging, is most of them say they can't play the brushes. I think what most of them mean is that they they don't think they can play the brushes in the correct way. But actually, of course they can play the brushes because they can play the blooming drums. But what they maybe want to consider doing is just delving in a bit, studying it a bit, getting into the style, getting into a bit of brush playing, Learn three basic shapes. If you're a drummer listening to this and you're in that category of what I describe as the I can't play the brushes drummer, and you you can, by the way, you're just, um, you know, you're being, um, you're being a little bit tough on yourselves because you've seen lots of great people, and I'm not a great person with brushes, by the way. I play brushes pretty well, uh, but there's some people. Um, I mean, Adam Nussbaum, I've been very lucky to to sit with Adam and ask him about, because I think he's one of the most beautiful brush players alive at the moment. He's, and, and he's got a very deep thing with brushes. Um, Lewis Nash, check that guy out. Amazing. Blade, Brian Blade, you know. I mean, lots of great players. There's so many great players that play great brushes. Um, and I think there are lots of drummers that are outside... Um, the brushes kind of playing world, they view themselves as, oh, I can't do that, therefore I can't play brushes. Whereas you're, you're talking yourself out of something that very simply you could get into in, 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 a, in a way which would actually maybe, you know, make you feel quite different about your connection to the tradition of playing the drums. And that's just go and find three basic brush patterns. They don't have to be jazz because some of my favourite brush players play straight music. I mean, Steve Gadd's a phenomenal brush player, but drum roll, controversial statement. I wouldn't say he's a great jazz drum brush player but he's a phenomenal brush player. You listen to him playing behind a singer, playing brushes. Listen to Wichita Lyman on the James Taylor covers album. Listen to the brushes part on that. It's like, it's not, it's not, it's nothing complicated about it. There's no, it's not even, it's not even like a basic jazz swing pattern, which is more complex, but it's so heavy. I listen to this, he's listening to this singer a lot called Meg Hutchinson, American, I think she's from Boston way. Beautiful singer, lovely, lovely songs, really was into her music um, quite deeply for a long time. And um, 
a number of the drummers on her records, a lot of them don't, she doesn't credit them as well, which is a bit, a bit of a shame. Um, a lot of them play this kind of Americana kind of style brush playing, like, you know, like, like um, grooves, folky grooves, but played with brushes, um, not country music and not, not, um, it kind of American, it's kind of Americana thing, singer songwritery, Americana kind of sound, and a lot of them play a lot of brushes stuff on those records, and it's and um, there's this fundamental thing: the left hand has a kind of interweaving relationship with the subdivision of the music, and the right hand essentially plays, you know plays kind of the meat and potatoes of it all and the thing that's interesting about brushes if you play a, if you play brushes on a snare drum especially if you play like a six and a half inch deep snare drum um 14 by six and a half like a black beauty so you know just a, a, a drum with some bottom you know some i mean all snares have, have good bottom end but you know a, a deeper snare with more bottom end then you know um You've got like almost all of the sound spectrum on the drum, and you can have almost all the sound spectrum with the snares off because because the brushes themselves because because they're wire. Well, the ones I play with are wire. You can get obviously nylon brushes and lots of different gauges of wire. I don't want to get into all that stuff and go back to my episodes. But just that thing of you don't need the snares on a lot of the time. And if you take the snares off and you get even more bottom end because the drum is slightly more open on the harmonic side, whereas putting the snares on, it changes the um, the kind of what, what harmonics resonate from the drum because of the nature of what it does to the bottom head. It's just physics. Um, but yeah, I would say just go out and find yourself three, like learn how to play a ballad like a standard ballad. Find a way to do that. Really simple pattern, like this little nice little circle thing in the left hand. And it can be jazz standard ballad or a song ballad, you know. Could be any of those things. Or just find a way to just to have that thing of understanding how to connect with the head in a, I call it in a, in a lateral, not literal, a lateral sense, a sideways lateral motion, circular or whatever, and unlock the wrists. Always unlock the wrists. The wrists have got to be relaxed. They've got to be flu flowing from the elbow through the wrist. The hands are being led from the elbow with, the, with that unlock wrists. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and yeah, I think then, and if you, and I think if you did, if you do that, then I think it will add some, some depth and you'll no longer be that guy or gal who says, oh, I can't play the brushes. And you can just not be that person anymore because you're already not that person. That's my point. You know, you could very easily with your, the knowledge that you already have as a drummer which you already are, um, very, very simply uh, connect that to the, um, 
to the brushes. The thing I always find funny, I think I said it in those episodes, maybe the first episode, is I, from as soon as I started playing the drums, I always expected that I would have to play with brushes. So uh, I always find it weird when drummers say, oh, I don't play brushes or I can't play the brushes. I was like, wow. It was just for me when I started playing the drums, Playing the drums, part of playing the drums is playing with brushes, you know. Um, and like playing with mallets. I play with mallets. I've got lots and lots of different types of mallets and hardnesses and softnesses of mallets. And I love playing cymbal rolls. I'm a bit of a cymbal roll obsessive, really into the thing of different specific weights of chocolate mediums are very good. You don't hear the, you don't hear the, the mallet. You just hear the cymbal, whereas the softs, you've got to get it going and you end up, it ends up being a little bit boingy. You don't quite get that depth to the sound. It can be useful in the studio, but the the hards, you hear the mallet. So, you know, the end of the regal tip brush, everyone who knows me, you know, these regal tip brushes that don't exist anymore by Calato, because Calato doesn't exist anymore. So these brushes have gone now and I've got my only five pairs left. The, the gum rubber that they use, that, that little little knobble on the end, which you can use for, for, for doing cymbal rolls, is slightly softer than the Vic Firth gum rubber, which is, is a less successful vibe for me. You know, it's it's just a bit, it's a bit clumsy. Um, now, I'm not a massive fan of the, the regal tip brush either of the the uh, the gum handle cymbal roll but at least you've got a pair of brushes in your hand and you want to do a cymbal roll that it's definitely a better a better kind of uh, gum handle for doing the, the cymbal roll and than the uh, than the other alternatives that are out there in my in my opinion um but it's always a mallet for me a medium chocolate they're my they're my favorite my go-to um so yeah yeah so yeah. but it was always you know, maybe it was the the fact that very early on, I mean, there's been before I was a percussionist because I've you know I, I started playing the drums and and uh, had a couple of you know drum pals around me and they played brushes and when I played in the the brass band there was there was you know the drummers that played in the brass band there was a couple of tunes where they played the brushes you know and and then getting into I just yeah I just I don't know why but it's the if you play the drums you should be able to play the brushes you know it's just part of playing the drums and um and all drummers I believe can very easily so anyway that sort of um it was a bit kind of long full circle I think but um I hope it made sense the key is to Remember to be yourself. Uh, whatever's going on in your learning and your practice and however you're trying to expand yourself and get better and all that, you know, always remember that the, the, the sort of default you is uh, is a great thing and is a, and is a great addition to this world of um, drums and music and everything else. So, uh, anyway, yes, this is Saturday night. This is very strange recording this on a Saturday night because I'm a night early, but um, it's the 1st of July today, 2023. And, um, yeah, I'm off to London tomorrow, so that's why I wanted to get this recorded tonight. And it may, I may even publish it tonight. Um, see how I get on. But, yeah, um, didn't want to miss a week 
which was there was a potential to, that was on the cards um, because of I was supposed to be doing Monday as well uh, down at the Troubadour, but they cancelled that because of um, either the summer or a new air conditioning system. Not sure which one, but there was some kind of thing went on anyway. We were supposed to be doing doing two gigs, and the second one was with Alex and, and an old friend of mine called Jeremy Brown, fantastic bass player who I've never played with them. And that got cancelled, sadly. So me and Alex were doing two days and then uh, I had Andy on one day and Jeremy on the on the next. Um, but I'm sure that'll happen another time. So we'll get that together. Um, so, yeah, that's about it, really. Um, next time, next month, I think I'll have more clarity um, with a few things that could potentially be a big announcement, um, which is probably only really a big deal for me, but it's um, you know it's part of this journey and archive, which potentially yeah something maybe not so great, but we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. Not to be too cryptic about that, but um, and then the, that'll be the next time when I record the next one. I'm going to have to think about this because the next first Sunday in August is actually when I'm away recording the Trio JDM album, which I'm really excited about. We're going down to Owain in Studio WZ down in South Wales, making a jazz album, which we've talked about. And I'm going to try and interview him. Well, I am going to interview him. He, we've agreed. It's been agreed. He's agreed. And... Um, I was gonna. I was down in uh, Cardigan the week before last, recording um, something for Lee Mason, um, great guitarist and producer engineer, um, with Jake Newman. Me and Jake recording something for a guy called Ryland Tiffy, who's a Welsh Irish actor, who's also a songwriter, very good songwriter and and and, and writer, music writer. And um, he seemed like a very nice guy. I only met him on Skype, but we were recording some stuff for him. Um, and I love it down there. It was great. I had a lovely couple of days, a uh, lovely drive down as well. It's just a real, really beautiful thing, you know. And it was just after something a bit crap had happened at work. So I managed to get down there and spent a day recording. It was great to get in the, um, in the Flax studio down in Cardigan. Um, a bit of a historical place, that place, and um, record some drums in there and got a really, really nice drum sound in there, which was great. Um, it's interesting with the room, you know, Lee was always worried about, he said that there's a frequency in the room and um, the first track we did, decided to sort of underplay it dynamically Um you know, because like when you record, you know, a lot of time it's about getting a sound, isn't it? You know, and with digital these days, you've got a lot more options. You don't have to saturate the tape. In the old days, it was like, get the sound on tape. You know, whatever you do, you just got to get a sound. Whereas these days, you know, it's all about headroom, digital headroom, you know. Like I meter here at home to minus 10. And apparently that's too loud. It should be minus 15, really. And then you've got like that 15 dB of headspace 
to push because obviously when you on the output side when you're recording I don't know a lot about this stuff but the thing I do understand is it's a collective output so all the instruments together create the output volume it's not just the loudest instrument in the in, in all of them is the loudest thing on the output it's not it doesn't work like that does it and I wish I understood more about sound and recording to really get my head around it and there's a load of things I really still don't really understand about I mean, this preamp I'm using now, I've got this, bought this new preamp, I don't, still don't really understand it, but I seem to be getting a nice drum sound through it with the overheads and the snare drum, and this mic is recorded through it, and I really like the sound of the vocal mic through the preamp. But um, but anyway, yeah, we rec we decided to un just slightly underplay the dynamic, and his observation was he wasn't hearing the frequency in that room which he was concerned about you know so it's like all these little you know every experience we have uh, things that you do there's always something to learn or something illuminating that you take with you you go well, that's just that little thing we made that whole day interesting on top of the fact that it was, you know, great music and playing with great musicians and doing a good job and all that stuff, which is all great and mega, and I, you know, I love being in that environment. But um, but just little things like that. But so he was really happy. We got a really great drum sound, really really nice drum sound. And I took the Sonors and took the twenty two floor toms, thirteen and fourteen. They sounded absolutely beasty, mega, really really mega. Um, and I took the Noonan Black Beauty copy which I bought a few months ago. Um, Gary Noonan, great British drum maker, and I bought a second-hand Black Beauty copy. It's, it is actually a two-piece seamed shell. Because um, I've got a Black Beauty, I've got a six and a half. It's an anniversary drum. It's a nice drum, really nice. I'm taking it to London with me tomorrow. Um, but Gary's drum is it's nicer. I think it's nicer. I don't know if it's... I did that. The funny thing today with the Black Beauty, I changed the snares. I had some pure sounds, 24 strands. And they've been on that drum for a long, long time. And I just put the original Ludwigs on, which are, which are 20. And they're also slightly shorter. Um, and I was like, actually, you know, Ludwig got this right in the first place. Um which, of course, you know, it doesn't surprise you, does it, really, in a way. But I, when I first bought the drum, I took one look at the snares, and they just looked cheap, and I just took them off straight away. I took the bottom head off as well, I took the top head off and put new Evans heads on, and I bought some Pure Sound because Daddario, who I get my Evans heads through, Daddario do Pure Sound. And Barry Race BR was also doing Pure Sound at that time, but he doesn't do them anymore because... because because Daddario kind of dominate that market now, and it's um, there's sort of no need for him to really compete against them, I don't think. So, um, but yeah, I can't remember whether I got them off Barry or got them off um, Simon Turnbull at uh, Daddario. I'm not sure, but anyway, I've got loads of, I've got tons of sets of Pure Sound snares, lots of them. But I took them off the Black Beauty today and put the original ones on, and it sounds great. And, and the the Gary Noonan one has Gary's. I don't know what they are, but they're um, they're twenty strand. So I don't know, I don't know. Maybe the twenty thing works better with the BB six and a half. I'm not sure. Um, 
maybe if anybody out there is listening to this who knows anything about it, drop me an email or whatever. So just to say at the end of this episode, um, I should have done this at the beginning but forgot to say um, I do uh, partner with BR Distribution in Istanbul, proud to be involved with those and um, proud user of Istanbul Symbols. Also, you can support this podcast via Patreon or PayPal on the Podomatic site. If you go to Podomatic and go to my Dave Walsh Drums in the Shed page, which is pretty easy to find, there should be... Um, I had a couple of people ask me about this recently and I always felt ashamed to, to sort of tell them in person, so I'm just saying this again on the thing. There's a link on there and you can join the Patreon thing or you can just send a... Um, send the thing through PayPal. I was going to set up this buy me a coffee. People like that thing. Buy me a coffee thing or buy me a beer. Me and Richard Cass, we we talk occasionally and um, Richard, he's such, a, he's such a nice guy, such a generous human being. Um, fantastic guy. He always... Uh, I bought a load of drum hardware off him recently, uh, stuff he, he was getting rid of and there's a few snare drum stands in there and a, little, and a, and a bag that I wanted, a, a hardware bag. And um, and I bought some other bits of sort of what he would describe as, and I would describe as tat um, that he was getting rid of. And uh, anyway, you know, I got some I got some really nice stuff for him, and he did it all at a very 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 respectful price. And uh, it was I wanted the snare stands really; they're all Yamahas, and I love the Yamaha snare stands. So I've got I've got a few backups now. It means I've got I've got got a couple more for the drum shed which I needed and um and also another one for traveling so um but in that um in that sort of tat was a Yamaha Tom arm which had a missing part and he didn't know because he bought it he'd bought it broken and I bought it off him because I wanted the um the ball and the short arm you know the Yamahas of the long and the short hex arm that goes in goes inside the tom holder you know and it had a short arm, and that was really why I bought that. Because and I and I actually retapped it and repaired it. But there's a there was a little plate missing inside, and Rich's his default thing is always, oh, I'll send you a few quid to buy you a beer, you know. And uh, so I was thinking of of buy me a beer link because um, that seems to resonate with a few friends who listen to this. So anyway, you can do the Patreon thing, you can do all that, and then just to mention Johnny Roadhouse Music at Manchester partner. Uh, just a long-time friend of mine, not a partner of mine, but a long-time friend. And um, go down there. Fridays, particularly Lee Mullins there on a Friday. Lee's somebody who'd like to get on this podcast. Very hard to get Lee's. Very hard to pin Lee down. He's a busy guy, but I'm going to try. But, yeah, anyway, um, if you're going to go to Johnny Rose, you go any day. These, uh, they don't have a drum specialist, I don't think, in, in the week. But Fridays, Lee's there, and he's a very knowledgeable guy. But of course, if everybody goes in a Friday, then he'll be run off his feet. So, um, but anyway, you know. But um, Johnny Roadhouse, yeah, and, he, and obviously for all your kind of musical needs, not just drums, but they do have a good drum department down there. Um, so yeah, that's all I've done. I think I'm pretty sure I've not ended in the middle of saying something because sometimes I always feel like I do that. I don't get to the end of a point. I feel like I have today. So, thanks for listening. And um, I'll try and get the next one out. Um, not sure when it's not going to be the first Sunday of August because I will be in Wales with Owen and Jamie Taylor and Mike Longhorn doing this album. We get they go down on the 6th, which is a Saturday, I think. 
and then we're recording, we're setting up on Saturday, and then we're recording Sunday and Monday. And I'm going to stay Monday night. I'm going to interview Owain then, and uh, for the next for the next the podcast in September. Um, but if I don't get my shit together, as they say, it may end up being next month's podcast, which will be late, but it will be an interview with him. So, mega. Thanks for listening, and uh, bye for now. <laughs>